many believe that that's a word from the Lord this morning? Amen? How many believe that the ministry takes place when we leave this building? I was talking to someone this week and they were just saying, you know what, you know, I think a lot of times we think, after it was, it was Chad, he was one of our board members, he's saying, we think that going to church is the big game. Anyone, I've been football obsessed lately, you guys know that, right? I'll translate to hockey for you today, kind of diversify my illustration. Like we think church is the game and that we go out for intermission during the week. We go for halftime during the week and he was saying, I think we get it all backwards because church is the intermission. Church is the halftime. And the game is what we do out there all week long. That's where we get busy. That's where we put in the action. That's where we run the plays and do the work. Amen. How many know that Aiden's story was, uh, uh, was pivotal with someone at a bus stop? As a high school kid at a bus stop who wasn't at church, he was at the bus stop and he was doing the work of the Lord. How many know we need more people at bus stops ministering to our children, to our grandchildren? Right? How many know that we need to be the people at the bus stop or at the office place or wherever doing the ministry of the Lord? Amen? Amen. I just believe that God has something significant for our year here at our church, for our families, for us as people to get involved. How I many just sit back? I'll tell you this, as a pastor, I just sit back in awe sometimes of what God is doing in us and through us and around us. And wherever we see the kingdom of God popping up in unexpected places, my favorite thing is all the ministry that happens that's not here on a, at the church. That's my favorite ministry that happens when it happens on porches and around living room table, kitchen tables, living room couches, at schools. That's where the ministry happens. Lord, everything we've just declared today, we say yes and amen. Lord, would you make it happen, Lord, we pray. And Lord, would you find us willing vessels to be used by you in Jesus' name. Lord, as we turn our hearts to your word, let us be encouraged. Let us take it to heart. Let us put it into practice in our life. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. How I many know if you want to be a spectator at church, this might not be the church for you. <laughs> right? We're always being pushed and motivated to get involved with what God wants to do. Have you had a good week? Everyone joining us online, I hope you had a good week. We're so glad to have you worshiping with us today. But did you notice anything different about this week? Like, how did this week compare to other weeks? Any, anything that you noticed? Well, I just want to congratulate you today. You made it. You made it through this week. And you're like, well, what are you talking about, Pastor Jer? This week, psychologists have told us, is the most depressing week of the year. Did you know Thursday, they actually have a formula they come up with that says Thursday this past week was the most depressing day of the year, and you made it. You made it. You're here, and you made it. So congratulations to you. Have you ever heard of the January blues? Anyone ever experienced the January blues? The January blues is that post-holiday letdown. It's that, a, a feeling of uh, temporary sadness, right? It's like the hype. And the busyness and all the festivities of Christmas are over. And we have this kind of post-holiday letdown. All the family have gone home, right? And uh, we are, you know, there's less daylight. We had some cold, rainy, damp, wet weather. It's gray coming into church today. And uh, maybe the holiday credit card bill just arrived in the mail. And you're like, oh, you know, the fun's over. You know, maybe you're feeling the effects of all that festive feasting. And your pants are a little tighter than they were 
uh, before Christmas. Well, millions of Canadians report feeling sad, a little sluggish, maybe a little lethargic or irritable in January. Anyone live with someone with the January blues or a little irritable? Um, just don't put your hand up. That's just between you and them. But a UK psychologist, Dr. Cliff Arnold, uh, he actually put together a formula uh, to determine what is the most depressing day of the year. And he determined that it is January 24th of each year. So his formula, I've told you this, I am terrible at math, but here's the formula right here in case you are more mathematically inclined. And this equation, he breaks it down into a number of variables. He talks about the weather. He talks about uh, the accumulation of debt. He talks about the number of days since Christmas. He talks about how many days it's been since we broke our New Year's resolution and fell off our diet and fell off the treadmill and all of that stuff. He he calculates all that together to determine this date. And then he talks about how much motivation we have and how much need for action we have. And he did this for a travel company that was trying to analyze people's purchasing uh, you know, rhythms to determine when they should put sales on for beach vacations. Uh, so they were you know, what is the best day for us to promote beach vacations? So maybe on your Facebook feed you saw Cancun or you saw you know, Maui or something popping up this week. They're trying to help you think Think of yourself on the beach. How many know that a beach vacation would be really great right about now? Well, experts say if you can't get away to the beach, there's always other things you can do, and they're always recommending to us that we got to exercise, eat well, sleep well, and uh, pay attention to self-care to beat the January blues. Well, you know, it's that time that we've been talking about throughout this series that, you know, it's the time we joined the gym, it's the time we started a diet, you know, there's times that we give up some things, we have some resolutions of things we want to give up, or maybe some things that we want to add to our life, and uh, it's a season that we tend to think a lot about life change. What do I want to do to change about my life? As the calendar changes, we think about the changes of our lives. But here's the thing. It's more than all the external changes that we make to our lives to transform us and shape us. It's the internal changes that have the most uh, lasting impact. And so as my pastor, it's my role to help make sure and try to help ensure that you aren't lethargic or sluggish or irritable in your soul. How many of you know that was part of my job description? Did you know that? Right? I'm here to hype you up. This is halftime in your week of ministry, and so I got to give you the pep talk today. In uh, Hebrews 13, it says, obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls, and they are accountable to God. So give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. How many know it's my joy to help give you a, a pep talk to try to help make sure your soul is ready to go? And so that's why we kicked off this series with this, uh, this season with a series you called Soul Detox. And as you've heard me say, you're probably tired of hearing me say it by now, but we are not a body with a soul but we are a soul with a body, right? The scriptures tell us that this body is perishing. It's a temporary dwelling. It's a, a, it's a container for who we really are, our soul and our spirit, the inner us. And our inner us includes our mind, our will, and our emotions. And so this time of year, we've been focusing a lot on our physical bodies. You know, we've been given consideration and intentional effort to caring for the physical, the outside us. But how much consideration and intention have we given to the inner us? 
And so that's what we've been talking about. This series is about increasing our spiritual vitality. 2 Corinthians 7 says this. Because we have these promises. So he's thinking about chapter 6. He's talking about the promises of God's presence. The promises of God's commitment to us. Because we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit. Let us work towards complete holiness because we fear God. And so in this season where we're thinking about doing, you know, cleanses and all kinds of things to detox our physical body, here we're looking at not being spiritually lethargic, sluggish, or irritable. How many want a soul cleanse today? Anyone? You want to have a soul cleanse today? You want to walk out of here spiritually vital and revitalized? Now, if you've been feeling the blues and you've been feeling down in the dumps, I just want to encourage you a little bit, if you've been emotionally depleted, that John 15 says this from Jesus, I have told you all these things so that you would be filled with my joy. You'd be filled with my joy and your joy will overflow. Today, in January, you can have the joy of Jesus. You don't have to be blue. You can be joyful today. I want to ask you this question, what's overflowing out of you? Jesus says we can overflow with joy, but that doesn't mean that's always the case, does it? What's overflowing out of you? Well, my family and I, we love to travel, and uh, whenever we go to the States, there's one restaurant that we always have to get to first. It's the first restaurant. They're, they're not always readily available. They had just came to Canada when we were in Ontario. They had just moved near us, and they were accessible, and then we moved out here. We're happy to be here, but they're no longer accessible to us because our family loves to eat at Chick-fil-A. Any Chick-fil-A fans in the house? I don't want to overhype it. It's just a chicken sandwich. But it's so glorious. I, if you ever get to eat one, it's just got the Lord's blessing all over it. It's like anointing oil and butter on it all at once. And uh, we love Chick-fil-A. And so we were traveling to Florida back then. To Florida to us was like California to, to us now on the West Coast. So it would be about a 26-hour drive to Florida. And we thought it was cheaper to f- drive to Florida with three kids than it would be to fly. And uh, so we drove 26 hours. And at that time, Myla, our youngest, was only about two years old. And if you know Myla, she doesn't sit still very long. She's not interested in TV or movies. At that time, she didn't want to read, didn't want to play, basically didn't want to do any Anything that we had for her to do. And so for the whole first day, she cried. She cried and cried and cried and cried and cried and cried in the backseat of our Dodge Caravan. And if you've ever had a baby crying in the back of your car, you know what happens. Something goes right up the back of your neck. And you just sit there like this, and you're like, and you tense up, and there's something in your neck, and you're just like, ah, you know, it's that irritable, sin. and you're like, I love them, but you're, it's just, I don't know, something comes over you, right? And so she cried all day, all day, all day, and the second day, it was the same, crying, 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 and then she fell asleep, and there was a bit of relief, we're like, ah, everyone in the car was just like, ah, you just feel it kind of just like, do you want to listen to music? No, let's just listen to silence right now, it's just so good. And uh, so we're driving, and uh, we see a sign that says Chick-fil-A ahead. We're like, this is the first one we've come to. we got to stop for this baby. And so we pull over. We get there. Well, they were having some promotion on that day, and the drive through was out the line. I'm not even kidding you. The drive through went out the line, down the street, and all the way to the off-ramp of the highway. People were lined up on the highway to get off the off-ramp to get to Chick-fil-A. I'm not even kidding you. It was crazy. And uh, so we thought, well, we're going to not be able to eat there. We don't have time. So we had to go to Arby's instead, which is kind of like, eh, you know. But 
we're at Arby's and uh, we're trying to get kids out of the bathroom. Maddie's, she's like, I don't know how old she is, seven or so at this time. She's in the, in the very, very back of the Dodge Caravan. You know when you got your luggage and the kids are in the third row? And we're like, okay, she's like, I need to go to the bathroom. And we're all like, okay, whatever you do, don't wake up, Myla, right? Shut the sleeping giant lie, you know? And we're like, just don't wake her up. And then, of course, she's like, well, I can't find my shoes. I can't. And we're like, park. And so basically what's happened is I'm in the parking lot and all the cars are kind of parked, you know, in their stalls facing the restaurant like this and I just kind of pulled up behind them so they could jump out to the, to the bathroom and this is taking longer and longer we can't find Maddie's shoes and Trent you know and this man comes out to his car and he wants to go home and so he gets in his car and he kind of waits for like I'm telling you like 10 seconds the guy had no patience whatsoever gets in his car and then he honks honk and I'm like oh, he's gonna wake the baby so what are you doing and I'm like just I'm kind of waving at him, like, hold on, hold on. You know, and I'm like, girls, hurry, hurry. And then, you know, honk, he honks again. I'm like, ah, you know. And then finally he lays the horn on. Like, this guy had no chill. He was just like, I need to get, I don't know where he had to get to, but, Hah! and I was like, the, my, Maddie wakes up, and I'm like, ah, and I roll my window down, and I point at him with my finger, my preaching finger, like, you'll be patient. <laughs> now, if you know me, I don't yell at very often. I'm not that kind of, you know, Holly debate. She thinks that I said, sir, you'll be, I don't know if I was that kind, but just something inside of me came up out of me. You'll be patient. I yelled at this man. <laughs> He's kind of like, uh, okay, right? And, uh, and so the girls got out and I drove away and I was like, oh, this is kind of all this, you know, I don't yell at people very often, you know, and I just say, Ah, where did that come from, right? Two days of pent-up emotion in the back of my neck just kind of overflowed out of me, and I yelled at this man. And uh, if he's listening today, I apologize, sir. I repent, you know. But it's not always joy that overflows out of us, is it? <laughs> Proverbs 4, if you'll join me there today. Proverbs 4, verse 20. We're looking at Proverbs 4 today, and it says this, My child, pay attention to what I say. Listen carefully to my words. Don't lose sight of them. Let them penetrate deep into your heart, for they bring life to those who find them and healing to their whole body. The proverb writer is saying, this is going to bring life to you. It's going to bring healing and wholeness to your whole body if you can catch a hold of what it's going to say. Verse 23, guard your heart above all else. Everyone say above all else. Guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. Avoid all perverse talk. Stay away from corrupt speech. Look straight ahead and fix your eyes on what lies before you. Mark out a straight path for your feet. Stay on the safe path. Don't get sidetracked and keep your feet from following evil. And now Proverbs for content, it falls into a category of scripture we call wisdom literature. We find here this book is written by Solomon, who the Bible attributes to having received a blessing from God to be one of the wisest men, to be the wisest men to have ever lived in the scripture. And uh, we see in this story that he's, uh, in chapter one, he gives his purpose for writing the book of Proverbs. And he says, I'm writing all of this to teach people wisdom and discipline and share the insight of the wise. And so I want them to be successful. I want them to be righteous. And so we find in these first chapters, he's talking to his children. He's trying to convey to them all that he has acquired and gained through his wisdom. And so he has this reflection 
And of all the wisdom, of all the wisdom, when the Bible says this is the wisest man of Scripture, and when the wisest man of Scripture is saying, above all else, he's saying of supreme importance, of top priority, of all the things I could teach you and all the wisdom and experience I could pass on to you, of all of these things, what I want to say to you, the number one thing is this, guard your heart. Guard your heart. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm at the age now where there are a lot of tests the doctor gives me to check my heart. I got to give blood work for cholesterol levels. You know, I got the heart rate monitor, the blood pressure, the oxygen level, lots of tests. And and all these tests have been integrated into our devices now. How many have a device that helps tell you where your heart rate is, right? Right now, I have an Apple Watch. And my watch will tell me what my blood pressure is and what my heart rate is. And every once in a while, it'll say something like this. It'll say, your heart rate is elevated. It seems like you're exercising. Do you want to record it? And I'll say, no, I'm just going up the stairs. (laughs) Or I'm just preaching to my friends. My heart is elevated, right? But when it comes to our spiritual health, there's no app for that, right? There's no app to tell us how healthy or how in danger our heart is. But the scriptures speak a lot towards it. So here we see the scripture saying, above all else, guard your heart. Now we're becoming increasingly conscious aren't we, of us, as a society, of what we put into our bodies, right? We're trying to count calories and cut carbs, right? We're trying to curb sugar and avoid MSG and aspartame and gluten and dairy, all kinds of awareness we have of what we're putting into our bodies. But how conscious are we of what we're allowing into our hearts, right? How conscious are we that we allow grumbling into our heart, right? We allow anger, And bitterness, we allow jealousy or animosity, we allow judgment or resentment into our hearts. We're so careful and guarded about so many things to protect our health and our bodies, but we're not always vigilant about what we allow into our soul and into our spirit. Uh, A number of years ago, Holly and I went grocery shopping and we came home from shopping and put the groceries away and found that we couldn't find the keys anywhere. Couldn't find the keys, and so all afternoon we searched for the keys, couldn't find the keys, had no idea where the keys had gone. Until the next morning when we got up and we went out of the house, and even though we'd locked the door at night, what we found is that when we went out in the morning, how many know where the keys were? They were in the door lock, right? So even though we went to bed that night and we locked our house and we secured our house, anyone could have had access to our house because we left the keys in it, right? And sometimes that's what we do with our hearts. Sometimes we give access to everyone and anyone to what's going on in our life. But you can't just let anything and everything in, right? You can't, your heart can't handle everything that's going on around you. I've discovered for me to have a healthy and vital heart, I can't handle the constant news cycle. I can't have it on in the background 24-7. Yeah, I want to be educated. Yeah, I check. I do read the news each day. But for my heart's health, I got to make sure that I have it in a proper place because it's overwhelming and discouraging and disheartening when you just are constantly bombarded 24-7 with all of the trials of the world. Our bodies weren't meant to handle all the evil of the world. That's not what we were designed for. I've discovered that my heart can't handle a constant Facebook feed. And it's even worse on X or Twitter, right? I just, I quit Twitter because I just felt every time I went on there, I just felt like uh, overwhelmed. I just felt like it was gross for my heart. 
Right? Many of us discover that Facebook has a time and place. It's lo- I love to connect with you on your birthday and see your cat pictures and all of that kind of stuff, right? But the constant barrage, I can't handle that. It has a time and a place, right? There's people in my life. You probably had people in your life that you just had to limit the time you spent with them because your heart couldn't handle it. The constant negativity or criticism or whatever it was. My heart is too important to allow anyone and everyone to speak to it, right? And so the first tip that Solomon gives us towards guarding our heart is to pay attention to who and what you're listening to. In verse 20, he says, my child, listen to me. But in verse 24, he says, avoid all perverse talk and stay away from corrupt speech. Pay attention to what you're letting into your heart because what you let into your heart is what eventually comes out of your heart. You can't allow chaos into your heart and expect peace out of it, right? You can't expect negativity uh, into your heart and expect encouragement out of it. You can't allow criticism into your heart and expect thankfulness and thanksgiving out of it. You can't allow bitterness into your heart and expect joy to overflow from you. Right? You can't expect doubt into your heart and expect faith to be the expression of your heart. What you allow, what you allow around you eventually is what gets within you and eventually what comes out of you, isn't it? Unless you stay alert. Pay attention to who and what you're listening to. Then, then he goes on, he says, pay attention to where your focus is. Have you ever noticed that two people can be in the exact same situation experiencing the exact same circumstances and yet have two completely different outlooks and experiences, right? Have you ever had someone, you're just like, yeah, you know, I'm on the golf course and it's gray and it's overcast and I can't hit a shot and it's terrible. This is the worst golf game of my life. And then you have somebody out there like me who's just like hitting the ball and just saying, you know what? It's just better. They say this, they say, a bad day of golf is better than a good day at the office, Right? (laughs) It's about perspective, isn't it? It's just fun to be here. It's just fun to be outside. It's just fun to be with you. It's just fun, whatever, right? It's a different perspective, even though we're experiencing the same thing. You get frustrated by what you're fixated on, right? You're frustrated by what you're fixated on. I share this with you, so this is no surprise, but I'm at the place of parenting right now where I'm starting to sound like my dad. All the things that come out of my mouth are all the things that my dad said to me. I think from generation to generation. Like, turn the lights off, right? We're not trying to heat the outdoors, all that kind of stuff. I told you, wow, one of my biggest frustrations, the pantry door in our kitchen is always open to crack. It's not like all the way open and it's not closed. It's just just enough to annoy me, right? Just like, close the pantry door, I, in my, one of my roles at our house is I'm in charge of organizing the fridge. Once a week, I got to come and I got to put everything in its proper place in the fridge because it just somehow becomes disheveled mess during the week. And I can't find things and there's no room for things until I put it all back in its place and there's lots of room. And so every time I go to the fridge, I'm like, this is not, like, you want to annoy your dad? Just, like, put, like, the vegetables in the meat drawer, right? Put the cheese in the vegetable crisper. Like, why? Why do we do this to drive our parents insane, 
right? Dishes in the basement. Every night I go downstairs. So Holly says, like, go to Ikea, right? You come home with, like, uh, like new dishes. Every, you know, I said to her, one day we're just going to let all the dishes live in the basement. We're, we're going to serve dinner on the table. Sorry, there's no plates or bowls. They're all in the basement. We just had to put your food right on the table, right? We're, you know, we're, we're going to do that one night, right? And so I have this constant frustration because I'm fixated on how things aren't going the way I want them to go. Now, yeah, there's parenting, and you got to teach your kids life skills, all that stuff. I get that. But I've developed a new mantra, and Holly hears me mumbling it under my breath all the time. They won't be here forever, and I'm going to miss them. They won't be here forever, and I'm going to miss them. They won't be here forever. How many know? They, uh, dishes under the bed. They won't be here forever. And I'm, right? But it's what you're fixated. You get frustrated by what you're fixated on. Right? But when you develop a different way of thinking, what am I thinking? The attitude is a result of your focus. And though your circumstances haven't changed, you can choose what you're concentrating on. Verse 25, he says this, Look straight ahead. Fix your eyes on what lies before you. Mark out a straight path for your feet. Stay on the safe path. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet from following evil. When I was taking driver's lessons, my instructor always said, you got to look to the horizon. He says, you, you steer towards where you stare, right? If you're looking over here, you're going to turn over here. You're looking over there, you're going to turn over there. But when you steer towards where you stare. And so Solomon's saying, look ahead. Keep your eyes on the road in front of you. He's saying the past is the past. You can't keep reliving it, good or bad. That's the past. I'm looking towards what's ahead. It's not rehashing the past hurts and the disappointments and the failures. Let it go and move forward. As I was studying this week, I came across some interesting information. You always find interesting information when you're looking for sermon illustrations. And I don't know if you knew this or not, but army ants are blind. Did you know that? Army ants are blind, and how they get along and how they get around is they follow the scent of the pheromones of the ants and the trail in front of them. But every once in a while, one of the lead ants will get confused and will get mixed up with the scent of an old trail and will go off course. Instead of going straight ahead, they'll start going in circles. Now, I want to show you this video clip. It's a clip of ants, so if you don't like bugs, that's okay. But here you go. Don't say it. Don't worry. It's a little video clip here. And... Uh, What's happening is the lead ant starts going in circles and all the other ants, because they're blind, start to follow him. And what they call this is a death spiral. It's a death spiral because the ants are blindly going in circles and what was going to happen is that they're going to continue going in circles until they get exhausted and die. How do we know that that's what we do sometimes as people, isn't it? We get in cycles and we get in spirals and we just keep repeating and going around and around and around until we get exhausted and die. But that's not what the author of Proverbs wants for us. He wants us to break the cycle, get out of the spiral, to start moving ahead. He says, make a straight path for your feet. Don't keep spiraling. Don't keep reliving the past. Let go of what's hurt you and harmed you and move forward in the health and the wholeness that God has for you. I love verse 27. He says, don't get sidetracked. Don't get derailed from the purposes God has for your life. Like I said, there's no app to monitor your spiritual health. But there is a practice that we've seen the psalmist do. 
The psalmist uses this practice to gauge the condition of his heart and his soul. We've seen it so many times over the last three weeks in this series, and it's introspection. Psalm 43, verse 5, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? The psalmist is reflecting on his thoughts and his attitudes and his emotions. He's taking inventory of what's going on in his life. How many know sometimes we need to stop and take inventory of what's going on in our lives? He's saying, why am I miserable? Why am I irritable? What's annoying me? What's got me sad? Why am I touchy? Why am I unhappy? Part of guarding our hearts is owning our emotions. Part of guarding our hearts is owning our emotions. What we are tempted to do sometimes is transfer ownership and responsibility of our emotions to someone else. I gotta confess something to you as your pastor. Often I have to work hard at putting into practice the things that I preach to you. Isn't that a good thing, right? Sometimes I'm up here thinking this is good preaching and I'm preaching to myself right now. You gotta own your, uh, uh, you gotta take ownership for your emotions. You can't transfer the responsibility to someone else. Now as a pastor, I gotta acknowledge that I'm not a perfect person or a perfect parent and I've had my fair share of outbursts at my kids. Like the man at the parking lot, that's pretty rare for me to yell at a stranger. But to raise my voice at my kids, there have been so many times where I've had to go back and apologize. I'm sorry for raising my voice. I'm sorry for yelling. But sometimes it'll be like this. I'm sorry for yelling, but. <laughs> sorry for yelling, but you make me so mad. I'm sorry for yelling, but you don't listen when I, how many know there's no but, right? When I say but, I'm transferring responsibility of my emotions to be quite honest with you, there's times where I talk to my kids and then Holly's like, you're mad at them, but now I'm mad at you because that's not how you should talk to the kids. And I kind of like, oh, I know, right? And I go and I say, I'm so sorry. It's not, but you made me mad. I'm sorry I got mad. I'm sorry that I lost my temper. I'm sorry that I let you get under my skin. See the difference? If I transfer the ownership, you made me, I'm transferring the ownership. And if they made me, then there's nothing I can do about it. I just, they made me, and that's how, how here's a newsflash, we're grown-ups in this place. One of the privileges of being a grown-up is that no one can make you do anything. As a kid, you're like, you can't make me. And you're like, yes, I can, I'm your parent. But now we don't have parents, right? Living at home with us. No one can make you go to bed. No one can make you brush your teeth. No one can make you mad. Right? No one can make you jealous. You get to choose what you want to do. You get to choose. I got angry. I lost it. The only one in control of your emotions is you. Proverbs 29 says this, Fools give full vent to their rage, but the wise bring calm in the end. You know how I know that we can be in control of our emotions? You ever been in the middle of a fight at home, like with a spouse or a, you know, a family member or a kid, and then the phone rings, right? How I many know we, we, we're all capable of doing this? Rah, 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 rah. Hello? <laughs> right? Some of us, we do it on the way to church, right? Church is stressful sometimes. We're, on the, we're driving to church. Rah, 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 
around. Hi, brother. So good to see you at church today. Right? We are in control of our emotions, aren't we? Right? Someone may have offended you, but you get to choose if you're going to be offended. Right? That doesn't mean that what they did to you was right, but you get to own your response. Right? You, someone may have wronged you, but you get to choose if you're going to be bitter. That doesn't mean that what they did didn't hurt you, but you get to choose whether you're going to let it fester. Part of guarding your heart involves owning your emotions. Ephesians 4 says this, Do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Ouch. The Holy Spirit is trying to make us more like Christ, and when we are allowing those emotions to overflow out of us, emotions have a proper place, but how we let them live in our hearts and how we express them. He's saying, don't bring uh, sorrow to the Holy Spirit. Get rid of these things from our lives. It, looks, it says, get rid of it. I mean, if the Bible says get rid of it, that means you can. You can, it's possible. And he's saying the responsibility is ours. Your heart is your responsibility. You have to own your emotions. And so we see the psalmist use introspection to reflect on how he's feeling. My soul, why are you so downcast? Why are you so disturbed within me? But then he took charge of his emotions he says, put your hope in God. I will yet praise him, my God and my Savior. So when I'm feeling down, I'm going to tell my soul what to do. When I get out of bed on the wrong side in the morning, I'm going to own it. Get back in bed and get out the other side, whatever it takes. Right? When our attitude is a byproduct of our circumstances, our emotions will always be out of control. But when our attitude is a byproduct of the character that Christ is forming in us, our attitudes will always be in check. There's a healthy place and a healthy way to express ourselves in a way that's God-honoring. I can't control what's happening around me, but I can control what's happening within me. Psalm 103, the psalmist says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Ooh, it's an illustration, an object lesson. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. You know, we talked about this week how we've had the January blues, right? And we have our soul, but we get those pants on after Christmas and they're a little tighter than they were before. And it changes us a little bit, right? We get that credit card report. We get the gray skies and the gloomy winter of and we begin to feel the January blues, right? As we're living our life, we're trying to have the joy of the Lord. We have discouragement. We have uh, despair. We have things that happen to us, disappointments and distractions. And what happens is it makes us feel blue. But the psalmist, he says this. He says, soul, I'm going to praise the Lord. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Psalm 103 continues. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. One of the things I said a moment ago, we have to watch what we're focused on, right? Another word is 
Focus is concentration. I have a dual meaning for you today. We have to change our concentration, but how many know in science class we talk about the concentration? We can change the concentration of what's happening in our hearts because as we look to the word of God and we tell our souls, bless the Lord, O my soul. And then he says this, forget not his benefits. I'm gonna begin to fill my heart thinking of the benefits of God. He says, it's the God who forgives all my iniquities. He heals all my diseases. He redeems my life from destruction. He crowns me with loving kindness and tender mercies. He satisfies my mouth with good things. My youth is renewed like the eagles. He says, come on, my soul. Let's bless the Lord. Come on, my soul. Let's not forget his benefits. Come on, my soul. Let's change our concentration of what we're focused on and change the concentration of what's going into my heart because I want to live a life that is cleansed. I want to have my soul detoxed. I want to live in the freshness and the renewing of God's presence this morning. Can you stand with me this morning? So Jesus, this morning we join the psalmist of old and we say, why so downcast my soul? God, I know this morning that there are people with heavy hearts in this place facing real burdens and obstacles. Lord, we face real hurt and pain and we grieve. And there's a proper and healthy way for all of that. But I pray that in the wholeness of our hearts, God, that we would see that in the midst of that, Lord, that you are good, that you are faithful, that your mercies endure forever, that your mercies are fresh every morning. We thank you, God, for this blessing of life with you, Lord Jesus, how you redeemed our lives. Lord, how you fill our lives with good things, how you never leave us or forsake us. Lord, even though we walk through the shadow of the valley of death, the psalmist said, we fear no evil because your rod and your, your staff, they comfort us. So God, whether we are rejoicing today and our joy is overflowing, Lord, or whether we are grieving and we are in pain, we can still have the joy of the Lord. That's not based on circumstances. It's not based on what people have said to us or done to us. It's not based on what's going around us, Lord God, but inside of us we have your Holy Spirit revealing to us the light and love of God our Father. And so I pray today that your joy would overflow from us. Help us, Lord. Help us to put this into practice. Help us to live so differently that people would look at us and think, you must be Christian because you're so different. The joy of the Lord is evident. Your responses are so measured according to grace, according to mercy, according to love. Help us, we pray. Reveal to us, God, where we can improve to get rid of these things, as your scripture said, from our lives. Let's be in partnership with your Holy Spirit. Don't let us grieve your Holy Spirit by resisting your promptings, God, but let us be transformed to be more like Jesus this week. Maybe you're here and you're the first time in church or first time in a long time. I just want you to know that this is a safe place for you to discover what God's called you to do. We'd love to pray with you. Maybe after the service you want to come and talk to me. We're going to have the prayer team come. Uh, right now they're going to come and they're going to be available to pray for you. If you're here, maybe you're responding to the message or maybe you're responding to a need today. They would love to pray with you. God bless you, church. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.